Hello. <laughs> I'm Lisa Gadea Carreño. I'm the director of the library here and a GC alum of 1984. And I want to start today's chapel by lighting our oil lamp, which we're doing at the beginning of all chapels this semester as a sign and recognition that God's presence is with us in this holy place. that was made by potter and artist June Wiener Kink is a special dancing flame oil lamp. Its flame gracefully and suddenly dances in the air. And now I'm going to try and watch for it while I'm talking here. This uh, unique dancing flame is an ever-present reminder that we have a moving, active, dancing God. This light will remind us to do our part in helping to create a holy space by demonstrating our respect and attentiveness to God and to one another. This light reminds us that God's spirit reaches out to us, yearning to meddle in our lives in ways that lead us to God. Now, on to an introduction of our guest leader this morning, someone whom I think shares some characteristic of a, characteristics of a dancing flame herself. Let me tell you a bit about Dr. Mary Kay Oyer. She is Professor Emerita of Music at Goshen College and a major contributor to the last two Mennonite hymnals. If you look in the beginning at the title page or on the other side of uh, the beginning pages in either one of these or both of these Mennonite hymnals, you will see her name very near the top. She has contributed and edited and chosen many of the hymns in, this, in these hymnals. And in the blue one especially, uh, many of the hymns that come from a non-Western, non-European background. And I'll talk about that in a little bit, and I'm sure she will too. She is also a cellist, a director, a church musician, a scholar of hymnody, and an African music specialist. Mary's life and work embody Goshen College's core values. As one of her music history students in 1983 and 84, I learned from her that the best teachers never stop learning themselves. In fact, about midway through her 40-year career at Goshen College, Mary began studying African music, eventually traveling to and or teaching and living in 22 different African countries. And at this point, I'll give a plug for an exhibit over in the library in the basement gallery. Um, it's called African Arts, and it is from Mary's personal collection of fabrics, artifacts, and uh, music, traditional musical instruments. It'll be there until February 22nd. So see it before midterm or spring break, if you want to call it that. Um, uh, since her retirement, Mary has also traveled all over Asia and has taught at Tainan Theological Seminary in Taiwan as well. She is the subject of a book and a DVD, both available in our library, published several years ago, entitled Nurturing Spirit Through Song. And in the book, there is a timeline of her life that spans several pages, and it's in minuscule print because there's so much to cram in there. It reveals many of her adventures and accomplishments, many that are too numerous to mention here. Uh, Mary first began working in church music back when both instruments, remember she was a cellist, and strong women were controversial in the church. 
Nonetheless, she persisted, and I thank God she did. We are all the richer for it. She opened the door to world music in the Mennonite church and in the hymnal and in American hymnody and church music in general. I also heard and just confirmed a few minutes ago that she has an appreciation for the Beatles and even incorporated their music into her instruction at one point. Marlene Krupp, professor at Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary, said of Mary's influence in bringing other cultures to our church, she is so well-loved and trusted that anything she decides to lead, people would try to sing. Maybe she'll lead us in some Beatles this morning, I don't know. (laughs) I think she convinced us that it was part of our Christian response to the world and to being part of the church to sing other people's songs. Now, most anyone in your parents' generation and perhaps in your grandparents' generation who went to Goshen College will remember Mary Oyer's general education arts class. Some will recall with a bit of residual trepidation uh, her drop-the-needle test, where she would drop the needle on the record back in the days of vinyl before you were born, um, drop it at a random place, and they'd have to identify what piece it was and who the composer was and probably what movement it was. Um, Others will remember her delightful stories about the music and the people she encountered in her travels. But just about all of them will speak of her with noticeable awe and appreciation. Her work has touched and inspired many people. For example, sometime if you know Professor John Blosser, uh, department chair of the art department, ask him how and why it was that he decided to make art his life's work. I would guess that someday all of you, or many of you, will say to your children, or your nieces, or your nephews, or grandnieces and nephews and grandchildren, with a noticeable tinge of awe in your voice, I once went to a chapel that Mary Oyer led. If the Mennonite church has anything close to what could be called a national treasure, and if the church were so bold and immodest as to admit to having a national treasure, it would be Mary Oyer. But her impact and contributions go way beyond the Mennonite Church and beyond our country's borders. Please help me welcome this morning Dr. Mary Kay Oyer. Thank you, and thank you, Lisa. Such a pleasure to come back here. Brings back many fond memories of hymn sings years ago. I stopped here at uh, 1985, I think. So, but I see the hymn sings are still lively. I understand from it, many sources. We'll begin with the Red Mennonite Hymnal 606. Now that's not the usual beginning song. But this is a doxology, praise to the Trinity, and it's appropriate. We usually sing it at the end. We go out with it. But it's appropriate also at the beginning. So would you stand, please?
The words, praise God from whom all blessings flow, come from Thomas Ken around 1700. And they could be sung to any number of tunes that had eight syllables in each phrase, like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But this anonymous tune of 1830 expands the text from a hymn to an anthem. It's really quite complicated. Singing schools of the 19th century liked its challenge and printed it in their shape notebooks. It must have been one of those culminating numbers which proved that students really did learn how to read, read music. This doxology appeared in Mennonite official hymnals first in this book out of which we just sang. And it was in introduced to a large assembly of Mennonites in Turner, Oregon, in July 1969. I chose it as a closing song of a hymn sing. But I did so with some fear and trepidation. The compiling committee had thought it was much too hard for a congregation to sing. But they decided to include it in the back of the book under choral hymns so, for choirs, so the congregations wouldn't stumble onto it by mistake. <laughs> but the congregation in Oregon was energized immediately by the song. And 606 became a kind of theme song for the rest of the week, in fact, for many weeks following, and months, and years following. I've often wondered why it was so important then, and I do have some idea. At that time, in 1969, Mennonites had a rather narrow range of emotional expression in music. Instruments were not permitted in worship. The good side of that was that we were responsible to make the music for ourselves, to create the sound. But there was a sameness in what we sang. A hymn marched through and everybody sang the same words at the same time. In 606, parts group in pairs sometimes, and they offer variety and texture. And it, it asked of us to listen in a completely different way, listen to each other. Then there were three pages for the hymn. Instead of singing three or four stanzas, going back to the beginning, continually returning to the same music, 606 was through composed, always on to something new. And when we turned the page, we discovered a sudden change from twos, praise God from whom all blessings flow, to triple, a very sudden change, alleluia. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. That was really a shock, but also invigorating. There was something wonderful about it. And it made a very rousing conclusion. I suppose that's why we all usually use it for a concluding song. In addition, the few words used were repeated often, especially hallelujah and amen. Now, repetition was not a part of the ritual language of Mennonite singing in those days nor was it valued for its aesthetic contribution. I could remember hearing preachers and song leaders warn us about vain repetition. In this particular congregation in those days, the song leader would occasionally say about a, a four stanza hymn we'll sing, that had a refrain. We'll sing the refrain only after the first and the last stanzas. We don't need to hear it that many times. <clears throat> but in 606, we experienced the repeated hallelujah from many musical perspectives. And in an important way, the music became a part of the meaning of a hymn. 
It was not the usual. Listen to the words. That's where the meaning is. It opened up possibilities of richer and fuller ways of praising God, nonverbal as well as verbal. <clears throat> Last June, at a conference in California on a cappella singing, I heard two papers presented as a, boy, a, a joint project. Rebecca Slough, the editor of the Blue Book that you have, and, uh, and David Graeber, editor of Hymnals for the Crow and Cheyenne Indians, each presented a hymn that belonged to what they called the sound pool of a particular group. The sound pool, that is, the core of familiar songs, of songs often repeated, much loved, nourishing songs, invigorating, heart music. Rebecca suggested that 606 belonged to the sound pool of American Mennonites of European ancestry. In her interviewing Mennonite music leaders in Elkhart County, she found a few congregations who never sang 606 and had no particular reason to do so. It was far from their sound pool of nourishing hymns. David chose a crow hymn, but we don't have it here, so we'll look at number nine in the blue hymnal to consider a hymn in the sound pool of Native Americans. <clears throat> Jesus, we want to meet. Its ancient melody follows a typical pattern of Plains Indian music. It leaps upward at the beginning, and then there's a slow cascading down to a kind of magnet. We feel a magnet pulling it down. And it's much too high and too low for a congregational voice. So we will experience what feels right to a Plains Indian singer. <clears throat> now, it's too high and too low, but I'm going to sing it first and then ask you to sing. Jesus, Lord, how joyful you have made us to come together here with you now in your mercy. Come lead us day by day, we follow your way. Jesus, Lord, how joyful you I doubt that that is in the sound pool of anybody here. 
It has become a part of my life. And if I would only sing it in Cheyenne, I would feel as if I had crossed that uh, uh, cultural boundary. And I'm trying to do that. It's very important to me now, but it isn't when one first hears it, I'm sure. It, uh, it feels very strange. Our music goes up and down pretty much in a balanced way in the Western world. And this just leaps up and comes down, as many ancient melodies do. But I think it would be very valuable if all of us had at least one other sound pool, unfamiliar to us, that we could enter into, that could become ours. There's a different kind of spirituality in this song we sang, and it, expand, it, it extends our possibilities of, of understanding the spirit. We will sing several more hymns or spiritual songs that belong to the sound pools that are rather far removed from 606. I believe that respecting unfamiliar sound pools can help us value people whose cultures are, we don't know very well and don't necessarily appreciate. We'll sing three Kyrie eleisons, Lord have mercy, which is one of the best prayers I can think of singing in these days when it's sometimes the chaos keeps us from singing honestly. Lord have mercy. The next line is Christi eleison, Christ have mercy. Then Kyrie eleison again, God the Holy Spirit have mercy. 144 in the hymnal makes use of that text. That text is very important. It's Greek, uh, the Greek language, but even the Latin mass uh, makes use of, of the Greek words, Kyrieleison. And this is a Russian tune, Russian Orthodox, but it uses the Kyrie, we're using the Kyrieleison. They would sing it in Russian, of course. It looks as if it's written for women, but it isn't. It would be men who would sing it. But would the men please double the parts? And uh, those of you who are really low basses, will you take the lowest line there and go down two octaves, really uh, as far down as you can get? It's a, a song that cries out. It's almost like a lament. It's weeping and pleading. And so we don't sing it in a pretty way. Uh, we don't worry about the beauty of the voice at this moment, but we plead.
say from West Africa, from Ghana, doesn't use the kinds of chords. They can, but they don't value chords as much as the Western world does or as the Russian world. Uh, instead, it's the rhythm that's important. They see the body and soul as belonging together. No, no separation. They would dance most of the, through most of their services. Uh, this one will sing orally as they would. Uh, it has four phrases. I'll sing first, first uh, phrase, and will you follow, and, and uh, then I'll go to the next, and so on. Sonny Carreño is going to uh, help us with the rhythm. It's, it's stretched out on this refrain. La, 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 la. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. comes from Pakistan. I think it's important to sing from these countries that we don't know very well. You'll see it on the screen. And we'll sing in Urdu. Kudaya uh, Raham. And when you come to Hem, please hum. This Asian music is much more inward. A lot of it is, not all. It, it's much more inward. It doesn't deal so much with the chords e either, but uh, or rhythm. But but the 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 melodies are are uh, ornamented. The sliding. And little ornaments. I'll sing the first two lines, and then please enter in. Three lines are, God have mercy, masi. Uh, we have uh, Christ have mercy, and then we'll go back to the beginning. Kudayaram, 
feels to me much more inward. It, it's more reflective, more personally thoughtful. African music to me seems to throw out energy with great uh, enthusiasms. We're Western world somewhere in between, maybe a little uncomfortable with both, I'm not sure. Spanish-speaking people have their unique language too, and some of this we may find in 229. A hymn in which both the text and the music are by a Spanish parish priest. We'll all sing unison until the refrain, and then you may uh, sing a second part in parallel motion. It doesn't have the clashes of chords that we have in Western hymns, but just a, a wonderful decoration of the Make an alto part out of it. Alex Naula will accompany as well as Sonny Carreño.
closing song is number 422. Buona awabariki. Buona awabariki. May God grant you a blessing. It comes from Kenya. This is the Swahili language. And there's a little solo spot at the bottom where I will sing, because of the conditions in Kenya now, I will sing one, bring peace to Kenya. And the second verse, I'll sing, God bless all Kenyans and, and grant us peace here. And after we sung those three verses, will you sing as you sing and dance out your way out? Let's stand. Like this, one of our body, one.